I'm Dave Breckenridge, and you're listening to 10-3. A gunman walked into a Pittsburgh synagogue last weekend and opened fire, killing 11 people. While the tragedy at Tree of Life horrified people across North America, many were not surprised, neither by the shooting nor the fact it was celebrated by hate groups online. In the wake of the Pittsburgh massacre and the mosque shooting in Quebec City last year, we look at what is driving hateful rhetoric online and how we're seeing a rise in hate incidents in Canada. It's Thursday, November 1st. Before we get to today's story, I'm hoping you can do me a favor. Do you see that subscribe button right there? Whether you're an Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Stitcher, uh, just take a second and click subscribe because I would hate for you to miss a single episode from showing up in your feed. Uh, while you're subscribing, maybe take the time to leave us a review because I'd definitely love to know what you think of what we're doing here. With that out of the way, on with the show. Bill Brownstein is a columnist for the Montreal Gazette. So, Bill, in reading your column about the shooting in Pittsburgh last weekend, I get the sense that while you were horrified by what happened at Tree of Life, you weren't terribly surprised by it. Is that correct? Not at all. I mean, when when you hear the toxic rhetoric being spewed uh, from the White House and other places in the United States, I mean, it's not surprising at all because, I mean, the president and others have done their best to kind of embolden and empower uh, hate mongers. And uh, this is to be expected. I mean, they target those who are immigrants, refugees, people who are different, and uh, it's inevitable that that's the result uh, that will come as a, uh, as a consequence. Now, as you say, in the U.S., it's, it seems particularly pronounced, and you touched on that in your column. Do you think that it feels even more heightened given that it follows on the heels of this series of bombs that was sent in the mail to prominent Democrats and, and media outlets? It seems like there, there was already a raw nerve there. I don't think it's a coincidence at all. Uh, For the last two years, we've been hearing nothing but hateful, poisonous tweets uh, emanating from the White House and other places, uh, other political places in the States. And uh, considering the the fact that bombs were sent out by a person who was allegedly a, a strong... Trump's supporter, uh, it doesn't surprise me at all. People are taking action. Uh, with the midterm elections coming up, the, uh, those uh, from the from from the hate area, uh, haters, are, are pretty much trying to do what they can. They think in their own demented ways that this is going to help the situation, make America great again. It's, it's, it's terrifying. Now, obviously, this feels eerily similar to a tragedy that happened in Quebec City last year where six people were killed uh, while worshipping at a mosque. What do you think feeds these incidents most? Uh, I mean, basically what happens is that uh, here we have a different sort of situation, as I said, like uh, actions here, like even if people uh, in power don't think that there's a uh, a level of... uh, Hate that emanates from policies. Certainly, the we had uh, the the uh, the new government come in, the Coalition Avenir Quebec, and one of its chief proposals was that uh, there would be no re- wearing of religious symbols uh, for those serving the public, uh, primarily uh, judges and police and 
teachers and so forth. And the irony being, of course, that hardly anybody in those positions do wear kippahs or hijabs. But uh, the the point is, in previous, the Parti Québécois had also suggested similar legislation a few years ago, and it it sends like a. a a message, as it were, that uh, there are two different kinds of people in this province, those, them and us, basically, those who, you, you know, are part of the mainstream and those who stand out because they choose to wear like a hijab or a kippah while working, and sends exactly the wrong message. And uh, the mosque shooting in Quebec of, uh, in uh, 2017 essentially indicates just that. I mean, where people act out their, what they think is a seal of approval from a government, even though no government would hardly endorse that. But uh, it's frightening because to that same extent, I think proposed legislation now will send out that same message to, to those who are basically uh, unsure of where they are, insecure about their status and uh, preachers of hate themselves. Now, you mentioned Francois Legault's religious symbols ban, uh, talking about people of authority. There has been talk recently, though, about expanding it to all public staff, has there not? There has, but I mean, for the most part, uh, I mean, he stopped, he's stopping at, at, at teachers, but who knows? I mean, the, the hypocrisy of it all is, of course, that uh, sitting in our in our uh, judicial places and sitting in uh, the National Assembly are giant crucifixes. Apparently, that... Uh, like is immune from from this law because they're apparently part of our cultural heritage. So I think this really confuses the issue for a lot of people and makes them think that they really are targeting, let's say, Muslims and Jews as opposed to uh, taking a secular stance altogether. And uh, he proposed this is what you know is being proposed. You you never know. Hopefully, like situations what tra- that transpired, like in Pittsburgh, might get people thinking. Well, perhaps maybe we shouldn't go there. Mm-hmm. Now, the the shooting in Pittsburgh, I really it, it frightens anyone who who may go and sit in a place of worship, whether it be a mosque or a church, or a, or a synagogue. Um, I imagine that the fact that it happened at a, at a synagogue hits home for Montreal's Jewish community, the second largest Jewish community in Canada. What is the, the sense of the feeling of concern um, regarding rise of anti-Semitism in, in North America in general or even specifically to Montreal and Quebec? Well, I mean, like if you look at uh, stats brought out by the Anti-Defamation League in the in the United States, uh, they reported a 57% rise in anti-Semitism in 2017 wow. from the year previous. And let, let's just assume that people know that the year previous was the election of Trump. Uh, in Canada, the situation has been as bad on a different level. I mean, over about 1,572 incidents of anti-Semitism have been reported by Brith throughout the country, and in Quebec it's close to 500, and the numbers are getting higher and higher. As uh, Jewish uh, community leaders here point out that, I mean, yes, there's a lot of other groups who are targeted, uh, but uh, it seems that Jewish, uh, the Jewish community is number one in terms of targets, and uh, there's a situation of foreboding uh, for the most part because people are worried that their synagogues are going to be turned into armed fortresses that they're going to have to have metal detectors and armed guards at the door. Uh, 
because people are rightfully concerned and it's not just uh, synagogues it's also private religious schools as well and as people have pointed out you you know you're worried about holding community events uh that don't have the necessary protection. Oh, the police are saying in Montreal that they will be ramping up security, but uh, let's face it, I, there's a level of uncertainty and fear that uh, you can't be erased because history, as history has shown, the, these situations tend to repeat themselves over and over again. Now, the kind of shooting incident that happened in, in Pittsburgh last weekend is obviously the worst-case scenario for, for anybody. Um, when we talk about a rise in, in incidents of hate against uh, the Jewish community, uh, incidents of anti-Semitism, what kind of incidents are we talking about? Is it harassment? Is it uh, vandalism? Is it property damage? It's all of the above, a painting of swastikas on synagogues, Jewish places of business, it's Mm -hmm. harassment, it's break-ins into synagogue, it's vandalism on that level. Uh, I mean, it takes many, many forms. There's a guy here in Montreal who's not made a living, who voluntarily goes around, like, taking, uh, removing all, as many swastikas as he can, like, with, uh, you know, various means, uh, but uh, this, he says the situation is out of control. I mean, he, it's like a, it's a, become a full-time job for someone whose job wasn't, wasn't intended to do this. Now, we talk about a, a rise in incidents, uh, in 2016 and 2017, reported by Benai Britha being record year in record years in Canada for for hate incidents against the Jewish community, um, we obviously don't have a Donald Trump in Canada. Is some of that carryover from the rhetoric that is coming from south of the border, or what is potentially driving it? Or is it uh, carryover from the rise of hate groups in Europe? What what's at play here in this country? I would say it's all of the above. I, you know, those who seek reassurance uh, listen to the words of a Trump or listen to the words of some of the far-right politicians in Europe and think that this is like a level of populism. They confuse populism for, you know, something far more sinister and think they are doing the right thing. I mean, as is what happened in Germany way back when, and as has happened over and over again in history, people interpret the these kinds of messages, especially from someone who's elected to the White House. I mean, you know, when you have the president of the United States targeting uh, those who are different, the immigrants and refugees and so on, it certainly sends a message to some, well, if he can say it, then we should be acting out these things. When the president goes out and like like it lauds someone who body slams a political opponent who hits and who beats up on (laughs) other people, how else can you interpret a message like that? Yeah, and obviously Canada is no stranger to a, a history of anti-Semitism. Uh, you know, you have to look back at uh, as far back as the 30s, even um, when Canada was turning away ships of Jewish refugees coming from Europe, uh, and fast forward to the 1980s and and people like Keegstra. Um, what do you see as being the landscape for white supremacy and neo-Nazism in Canada currently? Well, I mean, I, I see that sort of philosophy emanating from the far-right groups in the States, but I also see even like seemingly more benign uh, governments like the 
CAC, uh, the Coalition Avenir Quebec, here, like instituting something like that. And, and when you institute something like that on a, on a level where it doesn't even seem sinister, the the message is still the same that there are different there's us and there's them and i think this sends out a signal to many people that since those in power seem to endorse this kind of thinking well they will take it just one step further and it doesn't help i mean fortunately on a national level we really don't have any party that thinks like that this is a very uh, fair-minded country on that level it's a very tolerant country i mean we certainly are different from americans on so many levels, certainly when it comes to guns, but uh, even still, like a, a you know a government like this can come in, and you know a populist government can come in like the one that's in Ontario with Doug Ford. I, I don't, he's not suggesting so much of that yet, but who knows? Because it, it, there are people out there who have these inklings, who have these desires to kind of stress that they are the ones who are the victims and not the minorities and they should be asserting themselves. And this is where we have to be so careful. Yeah. And I, I, I almost feel concerned for some of these political parties that are relatively mainstream conservative parties that seem to attract fringe groups as supporters. We had uh, a case in Alberta not long ago where members of the group Soldiers of Odin were, were shown in photos with nomination candidates for Jason Kenney's United Conservative Party. I believe that there was a, a group considered a, a fringe uh, borderline nationalist group in Ontario who had kind of put their weight behind Doug Ford. And it's not that Doug Ford is, is espousing any of their views, but these groups see some of the conservative policy and as being akin to theirs. Do you see it, it hard for parties to disassociate themselves from these groups um, at risk of losing other conservative supporters who may not hold these views? Or, or do you think the parties need to take a strong line with these with these groups? I think the parties need to take a strong line, but by the same token, I think they're very conscious of uh, not losing support. I mean, it's politics. Uh, they'll do it. I mean, and the politics is uh, so close. Uh, in an election, you don't want to uh, you don't want to alienate anybody, and this is the, exactly the problem in the states. Who knows what a guy like Trump thinks? Who knows what a guy like Ford thinks? But the fact that they don't disassociate, that they don't denounce like these uh, populist groups, these neo nationalists, uh, the fact that they don't do that kind of makes it seem like they're not that uh, opposed to getting these people on board with them. Mm -hmm. And one last question for you. Do you think that there could be a concern that if you even try and raise legitimate issues with government policy, even on issues like immigration, where you're not espousing hate or you're not espousing uh, fear for other groups, but you just want to talk about the the mechanics of policy, you could be labeled a xenophobe. Does that harm good discourse in the country? It absolutely does. I mean, it's very interesting. Um, people are so alarmed. You know, column the column I wrote, for example, talking about prejudice, uh, someone told me uh, that they tried to put on Facebook and Facebook said, well, they didn't want to get, they didn't want something like that because they thought it would lead to civil discourse. So, I mean, if you can't have conversations about this, even on this kind of level, what does it say about, I mean, where we're going as a society? Mm -hmm. Well, it's it's 
frightening times, but definitely uh, important issues that we need to discuss. Bill, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Here's what else is happening. Funding for former governors general is under review, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says. The comments come after the National Post revealed that former Governor General Adrian Clarkson has billed more than a million dollars in expenses since leaving the post in 2005. Besides a pension, former Governors General get lifetime funding for office and travel expenses on the notion that they never truly retire. And Greyhound buses rolled for the last time on routes in Western Canada on Wednesday. Citing a massive drop in ridership in the last decade, the coach line announced earlier this year it would be shuttering service. But it may not be the end of the line for all travelers. 80% of the routes Greyhound previously covered have been picked up by new private carriers. 10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama, edited by Carrie Ann Sprawl. Special thanks to my guest Bill Bronstein. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening.